CPA Charge is the payment solution designed specifically for the accounting industry. It is trusted by over 150,000 professionals, recommended by more than 35 state CPA societies, and is the only payment solution offered as a member benefit of the AICPA. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, CPA Charge, later in the episode. And to learn how, as a listener of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, you can get six months with no monthly fee. How much of this is actually AI automated? Maybe some transactional coding, maybe some of their dashboard analysis kind of stuff, but it's it's an accounting firm. They're an accounting firm and they've raised close to $50 million with 100 clients. It's just absurd. And then really, you take this press release and you could swap it out. The stuff they offer, it's exactly what Pilot's doing for startups. Yeah. They're all offering the exact same thing, all chasing the same customer. Today is Sunday, August 8th. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. Back to school time, Blake. Kids are back in school. Kids are in school. Ah, it's so great. So wait, uh, Tucson was like all shut down last year. The kids are physically in school where you are? Yeah, it was it was hybrid the last eight weeks. Then what they did is they did a, a summer program for four weeks, and then they did two weeks before school started. So six of the eight weeks of the summer, pretty much you had the option to have your kids in school. Oh, to make up for lost time yeah. kind of thing? Okay. Kind of get kids ahead in the game. So um, yeah, lots of transition, you know, because even my, my daughter is now her sophomore year, but she's going back in person and my son's going to be a freshman. So it's just new. So it's like they were both freshmen going to school for the first time. <laughs> so, so are they doing masks in your school district at your school? They are now. So they have a, a Tucson Unified School District. They are they they before school even started. They said they were doing masks. So there are masks. I guess the way Arizona is doing it is the, the law that you're not allowed to require masks doesn't go into effect till September 22nd or the 24th. Oh, okay. so everybody's just saying, well, fine, we'll do what we want until the law becomes the law, and then I guess they'll, you know, play their cards then. So all the kids are wearing it. It is yes. Okay. Uh, the, it's a the campus itself is mask required. Yep. So up here in Scottsdale, it's optional, and so none of the kids are wearing masks. Like we figured that out the first day, you know, which actually is great for my son because he has hearing loss, so he reads lips too in order to understand people. Yep. So that's actually good. Um, we'll we'll see what happens. This is not the uh, coronavirus or the pandemic show, but. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of proper risk assessment. I think that's one of the things that we do as accountants is understand risk, risk when it comes to being audited, risk when it comes to internal controls. And so I'm very cognizant of risk. And I think that one of the things in this pandemic that has been terrible is the way that we understand the risk of a coronavirus. And uh, there are certain things that are very risky and certain things that are not, but we tend to view them all the same. Well, this is that whole getting attacked by a shark or getting struck by lightning in a plane crash versus driving a car. Like we just are horrible at humans at what the real risk is. Everyone's afraid of shark attacks, Like your, but your chance of actually getting attacked by a shark when you're in the water on vacation is like nothing. Whereas getting to that beach, driving to the airport is your biggest risk, right? Not being on the plane. So let's put some things in perspective, right? As my son was going back to school and I realized that none of the parents who are sending their kids back to school are going to make their kids wear masks. I'm thinking, okay, great. Well, the only thing I'm really worried about at this point, now that I'm vaccinated, now that my wife is vaccinated, is my son getting sick. And I know the risk to children is very, very small, but still, as a parent, you just can't help but be super cognizant of that, right? The, the worst thing would be if he had some sort of like long-term effect from, from COVID, and if I gave it to him. And being that I'm traveling to conferences and flying and going out at this point, I've decided you know, I'm vaccinated. And you're living in Phoenix. That. I'm living in Phoenix, right? <laughs> Which is a, you know, supposedly high risk area. My main concern is not me getting sick. It's him getting sick because of me. And the whole thing about this Delta thing, as we were talking about on our last episode, the Delta variant is this idea now that vaccinated people could become sick and could pass it on to unvaccinated people. And that's why the CDC went and did this whole thing about everyone needs to wear masks again because the Delta variant changes the equation. But 
what frustrated me about all that guidance is that nobody ever said at the CDC, as far as I could tell, here is what the actual risk is. They said it's a low risk that if you're vaccinated, you could get a breakthrough infection is what they call it. But they never said, well, what is the odds of that? That's frustrating to me because I want to make my own analysis and decide, is it, am I willing to risk that? And now we finally have some data. I was reading azcentral.com, which is our the Arizona Republic site, our local paper here, and they had a great article on uh, what you need to know about the COVID-19 Delta variant. And you have to actually scroll pretty far down in this article to find a stat from the Kaiser Family Foundation. They did a study of state-level data, an analysis of state data, and found the rate of breakthrough cases for fully vaccinated people. So this means if you're fully vaccinated, you've had two shots, what are the chances you are going to get COVID? It's less than 1%. It's actually far less than 1% for a lot of states. They did state by state. In Connecticut, breakthrough cases accounted for 0.01% of all cases. In Alaska, 0.29%. Hospitalization and death rates were even lower to the point where it's statistically insignificant. So what does this mean? This means if you are fully vaccinated, the chance that you are going to get COVID is extremely low, less than 1%, 1 in 100. And the chance that you're going to get hospitalized or die is almost nothing. Which was, that was kind of the idea of the shot. It's like, hey, you might get it, but right. it won't be as severe. But now now pretty much it's saying, chances are you won't even catch it really and carry it. Like, you, like you're not going to help spread per se. Exactly. So so this is why I am, like I just I, from as a marketing person, when I look at what the CDC is doing, I'm thinking this is just so terrible because you're confusing everybody. The vaccines work. They work really, really well. Everyone should get vaccinated. That's what we should be focusing on. The masking isn't going to have a meaningful impact on vaccinated people. It's going to help maybe prevent unvaccinated people from getting infected, which we knew all along. But you know, if those people aren't getting vaccinated, what do you think the chances are they're going to comply with mask mandates? It's, it's going to be pointless. It's, you know, it's just not what we need to be focusing on. And so I just want to share that stat because I've been concerned with the Delta variant about passing this to my child who can't yet get vaccinated. And now I am not worried. There's a lot other things in the world that are much scarier that I should be worried about. So, yeah, I was just putting up a graph, even for Pima County here, the, uh, the average cases is ticking up a little bit, but the average deaths has decreased. So this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And if you're listening and you're skeptical, you haven't gotten vaccinated, please, I just want to tell you, we all got the vaccine in my family. Yes, we were fatigued for a day or two. That means the vaccine's working. You're developing antibodies. It really works. And this is really our only way out of this. If you want to protect society, your family, yourself, let's just do it. And don't be a stat. Don't be one of those people ending ending up in the ICU right now. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling actually a lot better now about the whole thing because of that. Let's just hope we don't get another variant <laughs> that is vaccine uh, resistant. I can't handle the school's closed. I just can't do it. I'll have a complete breakdown. <laughs> It's not going to be good if they close school. So, This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClientHub. Are you looking for an amazingly simple way to manage both your internal workflow and your external client communication? Introducing ClientHub, the only workflow solution that automates getting clients' answers because it has client communications built in. ClientHub is a modern all-in-one workflow platform with a built-in client portal for secure client collaboration that automates client requests for everything you need to complete your work and includes an internal workspace for your team to manage those work deadlines. And it even includes tools to help your team do the work faster. Your clients will love the easy-to-use ClientHub web portal and mobile app. When using ClientHub, everything is in one place. Your staff and your clients are always in the loop and nothing falls through the cracks. ClientHub currently has an amazing offer just for our listeners. 25% off your first three months by using promo code CAP25. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clienthub. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B.
Should we jump into the news this week? Yeah. Where do you want to start? Oh, let's see. I mean, obviously, the Square News is huge. How, how about we do that? How about we do App News first, because we kind of have been doing that at the end. All right. And then, and then we'll talk about all the other stuff. All right. Let's just start out right away, because the Square News is App News, and let's jump into the biggest story of the week. So was this Tuesday or Wednesday? That Square acquired... Afterpay? Yeah, Square announced they're going to acquire Afterpay. So Afterpay, we've talked about these buy now, pay later platforms. There's AffiniPay, there's Afterpay, uh, Klarna is another one. There's a bunch of these that are out there and they're all huge. The number, they, they're all valued at these billions and billions of dollars now. Well, that's because they are hugely popular and it's been shown that if you, as a vendor, offer Afterpay or pay as you go or pay later services, that it increases sales dramatically. And it's so mainstream now, even Apple announced they're gonna offer it, they're calling it Apple 4 or something like that. And then I think this week again, Apple announced they're gonna offer it now in Canada as well. So it's it's gone very, very mainstream, this like split your payment up to four payments. And, and there's even services that do this for accounting firms, which I think is a great idea because a lot of times- Well, QuickFee, that was sponsored the podcast before. Yeah, they, they do, do it, right? for accounting firms. Yeah. Um, it's brilliant because if, if you've got a client that hasn't done taxes for years and years or hasn't done bookkeeping and it's like a giant upfront payment, being able for them to split it makes them much more likely to sign with you. And, and the, the beauty of this, I mean, just being greedy from a, a bookkeeping point of view, you can offer this to your clients and you get the full deposit in your bank account. Right. So it just reconciles through the, the invoice and you don't have to like create special tracking or how am I going to track the next four payments as they come in and all this dance, like you just yeah, get the yeah, full yeah. deposit and somebody else handles all the nightmare. So just from a bookkeeper perspective, they, they're cool services. And what's really amazing about these services is that, well, theoretically they're free to the consumer in many cases, like Apple's service where they're going to chop payments into four monthly installments is free as long as you make the payments. And other services similarly are free. And the way they're able to do it is the people who pay are the ones who miss the payments. Then they have interest, then they have fees if they miss. And I was listening to Marketplace uh, on NPR, and they were talking about this acquisition and why Afterpay and Pay Later is so po uh, popular and profitable. It's because I don't remember the exact number, but something like over 70% of people who have used these services miss a payment. Yeah, I've been seeing uh, a lot of personal finance blogs talk about how these are kind of a bad idea because they're basically letting people overextend themselves. Yeah, they're, they're debt, but people don't see it that way. So psychologically, people don't see it the same as they do a credit card or a loan. Have you used one of these services before? No, I, why would I? I mean, I, I, pay, gonna, I, I pay off my credit card I'm every month. I'm kicking around <laughs> the idea of buying a, a new laptop. Yeah, um, it's been you know, I'm about like I'm at the point where you know the O, the P, the quote, the dash. None of those keys work on my keyboard now. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm about, and this is after I already replaced the keyboard once. Um, but I'm wondering maybe I do give this a run and just report back and see what it's like to go through this. Because on my my other side, I'm try, I'm really trying to understand like, did they just divide my total amount due into four and just hit my credit card four equal times over four months. Yeah, yeah. Well, and usually it's not your credit card because why would you put this on a credit card? It's usually your bank account. So it's tied to my debit card. Yeah, so people are, you know, say you buy something for $1,000, it's 250 bucks for four months or however many, you know, just divide that payment by however many months you're extending it. So and. And so the problem is a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck. They have very low balances in their accounts and they're overdrafting. This is how the banking industry makes a ton of money on consumers is overdraft fees. And so then for the majority of people who use these services, at some point, they aren't keeping track of all these auto debits and they overdraft their accounts. So not only do they have overdraft fees, now they owe interest and fees to the afterpay company or the pay later company or whoever it is. All right. So now let's step back. So now you're square. What is so attractive about this that you're willing to pay $29 billion all in stock? $29 billion. So Square makes its money from credit card processing fees. Primarily, they give away almost everything else, right? Well, the, and then the, the Bitcoin transactions. And, right. and that's where, when you talked about, oh, I hooked this up to my bank account or my debit card. 
Square's motivation at one hand is to hook this up to their cash app because basically they'll offer this through their cash app, Mm -hmm. right? So that's going to encourage more. Every time you go to buy something and you want to, oh, it's time to do a buy in for, buy now, pay later, whatever whatever they'll wind up calling this, maybe they'll call it cash app for, you'll have to get the cash app to set this up so they can pull the money out of your cash app. My theory is that they make a ton of money from credit card processing fees and credit cards are the establishment. They are what is under threat from cryptocurrency and then from services like this, which, you know, sort of get around credit cards. It's, I mean, what is Afterpay? But it's basically like a, a individual, you know, credit card kind of purchase. Yep. So with none of the protections of a credit card or any <laughs> where, of those types of things, right? Exactly. So by buying this, they are hedging their bets. They're diversifying. And it's something that's growing really fast because psychologically it doesn't feel like credit card debt, which, you know, we have been training people year, over years and for years and years on personal finance sites and whatnot, not to have credit card debt. So this gets around it because it hides the interest and it hides the stuff because, you know, you only pay it once you screw up. Because they turn your app off, right? As soon as you don't pay, they block you. You can't keep buying more and more stuff. Right. You can't do new afterpays. Yeah. But the credit card company tends to just, oh, we'll just give you some more credit, get more in debt. Let's keep going. So, so just some facts about Afterpay. So Afterpay, ha- uh, they serve more than, this is from the um, Square blog announcing this. So Afterpay serves 16 million consumers and nearly 100,000 merchants globally. Um, they catch, you know, fashion, homewares, beauty, sporting goods, and more. What's interesting about this, some part of me wonders is, you know, Square's trying to go more global, right? They, they, they're getting into the UK and Ireland and they're trying mm-hmm. to spread, right? And I'm, some part of me is like, oh, is this a move to try to get into the global market because Afterpay is really strong globally. Mm. They're really strong mm. in the Australian market, um, down under. So, but then I'm like, if that's the case, why didn't Square just buy zero? The market cap at zero that day was only $21 billion. <laughs> they could have just bought zero and had a million small businesses. Uh, because unfortunately, they have their GL. unfortunately, they already have their GL and they just don't need zero. But they you know, GLs, zero. GLs are super sexy on the cloud accounting podcast and we love zero, but you know, it's just, in the broader fintech world, it's like somewhere between, uh, on one end you have banks, traditional banks, and on the other hand you have sexy stuff like Afterpay. I think zero is probably closer toward the uh, the you know the boring banking side because it's accounting <laughs> software, right? Cloud cloud accounting cloud accounting is so lame now. It's like it's not even cool. <laughs> I I mean we're trying to make it as cool as we can, but there's a limit. It's accounting, right? Let's just accept this is what we are, right? We're accountants. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that we talk about the other big piece of news in our space. Well, do you have uh, anything more about this, though? Because I, I, there's a lot of articles, oh, it's a match made in heaven, it's a perfect this, but there's not a lot of, I haven't read anything that's like, oh, I get it. Like, this makes so much sense. I, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to see the numbers for Afterpay. I just think it's a very, very profitable business. And that's why Square is buying it, because now they can offer it as part of all of their point of sales, all of their... Anywhere that people spend money, now you can have the afterpay button. Like, and they won't even call it that. They'll just say, like, split this payment into four. Do you think that there is a possibility that Square saw this as a threat? Because if yeah. mer- if merchants everywhere start offering paying four, whatever you want to call this, right? I feel it's easy yeah. to say it, paying four. You're not going to check out with your Square terminal. You're going to route those customers to some other service. service. And now yeah. Square is not part of the, comp- the transaction at all. 100%. And then is there a possibility that these companies, once they have scale, because basically they're integrating with your point of sales, they're getting yep. out there on the front end where they just decide, we'll just buy a point of sale and do this ourselves. It's possible. So this could have been a, a more of a take out a competitor and just compete better type play. Could be. Either way, they should have bought zero. <laughs> <laughs> I would have, but you know, that's just me. So the other big news this week was CPA Practice Advisor, the popular online site and uh, paper magazine, they still they still print that. I have it right here. You can hear the uh, pages. CPA Practice Advisor was acquired by Rootworks, and Rootworks was acquired not that long ago by Right Networks. So now Right Networks, the cloud hosting QuickBooks hosting provider, owns CPA Practice Advisor. The I don't know number two publication in the accounting profession after accounting today. So what do you think about that, David? A vendor essentially owning a publication like like that. It's I don't I don't know what to make about specifically about this. 
But I think at a higher level, when you think about Red Networks, Red Networks is a desktop hosting company. And at some level, that is a dead man walking march, right? Eventually. A and I look shrinking at all the players ice in cube. That space. I'm sorry? A shrinking ice cube. Shrinking ice cube. But if I look at all the players in that space, right networks is the only one making moves to be something different in the future. Like they acquired um, two SaaS apps, right? Now they, and mm-hmm. then they acquired Rootworks, which is essentially a training company. Now they've acquired a magazine. Right. They don't know what they're going to be in the future, but at least they're making moves to not be a desktop hosting company in the future. That is true. And there was another story this week that made me think the ice cube might be shrinking a little faster or they've got competition now. Did you see the news about Windows 365? I've been from the sideline paying attention to this. So basically it's you're paying for Windows. It's SaaS Windows, basically. It's it's hosted Windows. Yeah. Yeah. So Think about it this way. You open up a tab in your web browser on any computer. You log into not Microsoft 365, but Windows 365. And in your browser, you've got a Windows desktop. And this is what Right Networks and a lot of other services do. They have built this platform themselves, but now you have Microsoft selling it directly. And and this has always been available through Azure and all these complicated platform stuff, but now Microsoft just made it accessible. Yeah, they are going to do it themselves. And kind of makes sense, right? Because why wouldn't they want to make Windows into a subscription? Everything's becoming a subscription now. And I'm actually really excited about this because, to be honest, even though companies like Right Networks might make it easy, it's still really hard to set up Windows hosting. And it's very, very expensive. And there's a lot that you got to do to maintain it. And what Microsoft is promising here is the ease of Microsoft 365, but for a Windows desktop. Now, you might get a little sticker shock, you know, based on the pricing, because it starts at $20 per user, but you can, depending on the configuration, end up going up to like $163 per user per month. So some people are saying, well, I mean, that's crazy. Why wouldn't I just buy a computer with Windows on it? But the beauty of this is that it requires almost no maintenance, right? And these are all the selling points that hosting companies have had for a long time, which is we're going to manage your security. We're going to allow you to provision and deprovision accounts really easily. Uh, it's, it's, you know, imagine if you had... So now you, you can buy a super cheap Chromebook and just use it to access Windows. And yeah. And Windows in a browser. Right. Or my dream is, you know, I love Mac, but I every now and then I need to run, say, QuickBooks Desktop. Or I need to run my, you know, I don't do tax, but let's say I needed to run some tax software. You know, I've had to pay for some expensive hosting solution just for that. Now I can just run it on Windows 365 and, you know, pay for it as part of my Microsoft subscription. And it's all in one place. I don't need a third party anymore. And this has always been a smart play that I've always respected Microsoft on, even going back to the old Windows 3.1 days. So way back in the day, Microsoft was helping Mac build their GUI right? The first versions of like the GUI OS, right? They were helping IBM build OS2. And then at the same time, they're building their own Windows 3.1. So no matter what was going to win, they were going to be there. It's kind of like just have Windows everywhere. And they did the kind of the same thing with when they started to struggle a little bit with their own mobile phone launch and their uh, Windows phone and all that. They decided, hey, we're just going to make Office be amazing on all the mobile devices, no matter what platform you use, right? And it's kind of now they're doing the same thing. Like, hey, we're just going to make Windows so you can use it. We don't care what hardware you use anymore. Right. right. You're just going to use Windows on all these devices because it's going to be convenient. And if and you have needs where you have multiple different kinds of devices, you're that's going to span all of them. And this was really the idea of Satya, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft right now. He came in after Balmer. Yeah, this is kind of his march. Exactly. Yeah, he, and he basically saw, okay, it doesn't make sense for us to compete against Apple and Google and hardware. <laughs> You know, Microsoft tried with the Microsoft Store and they tried building their own Surface laptops and stuff, but it's not their core expertise. They are good at building business productivity suites that Microsoft, Excel, Word, all that stuff, Outlook, SharePoint. And they gave up that battle under him and they have just pivoted to focusing on that. And, And so that it just makes so much sense. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing now because now I can finally have the best of both worlds. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this so I can run my Windows stuff that I need when I need to run it. And I'm gonna be so happy because it's gonna be affordable 
you know, it, it's so this is an existential threat to right networks and to all the other hosting providers, because why would I go to a third party when I can go direct to Microsoft to do this for me? Yeah. I mean, and then I can install QuickBooks myself. I have control over the machine. Yeah. Right. And it, this would be interesting, too, because I think when all this hosting stuff started coming to market and it got really messy with the licensing of QuickBooks, et cetera, and, and Intuit actually they had the power, right? They, in a way, like dictated the terms to all these hosting companies, but they're not going to deal with Microsoft. <laughs> so the it, you know where people can install and host and do their multi networking and all that type of stuff, they're they're not going to be able to dictate this in the same way yeah. they did before. And the big problem right now with hosting third party hosts is that a lot of them are small and they do not have enough security to combat all the. Uh, cyber threats out there. And that's why we haven't seen a lot this year, or at least in the press a lot this year, but in past years, you know, there have been major hacks of hosting providers that have taken people down. Now, would you rather use a small host or would you rather use Microsoft for your host? Who do you think is going to have the better intrusion protection and backups and security and all that? Microsoft, right? Yeah. Like, because they're, they're betting their company. They're betting the future of Windows on this, basically. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by CPA Charge. CPA Charge is the online payment solution designed specifically for the accounting industry, endorsed by more than 35 state CPA societies and the AICPA. Their solution makes it easy to accept credit card, debit card, and even e-check or ACH payments from your clients anytime, anywhere. Whether you prefer to accept payments in your office, through your website, or on the go with a mobile app, CPA Charge has you covered. CPA Charge has all the payment features you need to streamline your cash flow. Features such as applying a surcharge to credit card transactions, which are automatically displayed on your payment page as a separate line item, or scheduled payments, where you can automatically charge your client's payment information at a date and time you both agree to, whether it's a one-time transaction or a recurring bill. And with CPA Charge, there are no contracts and no setup or cancellation fees. As a Cloud Accounting Podcast listener, you'll get a $150 account credit if you open your account by August 31st. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash CPA charge. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-P-A-C-H-A-R-G-E. CPA charge, online payments designed for CPA firms. So we have another acquisition to talk about. What's that? Uh, Dext acquired Greenback, and they're going to brand it as Dext Commerce. So are what? you familiar with Greenback? No, give me the 20-second overview. It, it was kind of like fetching, but not through screen scraping. It was fetching via APIs. So they would, for example, your Amazon receipts, right? They would connect to Amazon's APIs and pull down your Amazon receipts that way instead of you using Dext or Receipt Bank or an auto entry to OCR the receipt. Well, and that's, that's huge because my Amazon receipts on my email no longer say what it was that I bought. <laughs> yes. So this is, so I've, I've used Greenback as an accent to auto entry and I'm sure somebody could use it as an accent to Dex. I get the receipts for, especially Uber, Lyft, Amazon. They're just like, they're just not good, right? Yeah. And then you forward them and then they get in the accounting system and they're not fully there. But then I would go to Greenback and then Greenback is connected to my Amazon, my Lyft, my Uber. Mm-hmm. And I can just choose my business ones and it'll send them to QuickBooks. Well, what I always thought Greenback did was excellent. Instead of sending it as a new transaction, it would see that I may have already had the transaction there. Like maybe maybe I did forward that email that lacked what I bought. Yeah, yeah. It'll go and append that transaction and it'll put all the details of the item I bought. It'll attach the little photo. Everything's there. And so I always thought it was a good accent for like an auto entry and or a Dex prepare type product. You can receive but then the other piece that they do, and this is really what this is played up as this, they will retrieve your sales from your shopping carts, your Amazon, your PayPal. So it's the, your sales side of the, the equation, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that is actually their sweet spot. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes because Dext is playing it up as like, that's what 
greenback does. And I really think that other half of greenback is actually an amazing add-on to Dex Prepare that is kind of getting lost in the shuffle here. Yeah, just the Amazon receipts. I'm just, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I'm stopping there and yeah. I'm like, that is so many business owners are buying everything on Amazon and trying to code those transactions is that's the, that's the thing. I don't know if it's been solved, but you know, that's the thing I have the most trouble with. So this solves that, I guess. Yeah. And the, the team at Greenback, so this would be their third exit. They actually created two different companies. They sold to Twitter before in the past. So this is their third exit. Well, good for them. For that, for that team. Serial entrepreneurs there. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see, like maybe, maybe, maybe Dex spends more and builds out this um, commerce sync side of the fence. Mm-hmm. And then that other piece of this, they branch off and shove as functionality into Receipt Bank or, De- or Dex Prepare. Dex Prepare. Because <laughs> it, it's that's that one piece of the OCR Yeah. that if it can't OCR everything, it's nice to be able to pull, oh, I can, I can get most of it from here, but oh, look, I can also get some from the API. And then a, a full transaction gets shoved into your accounting system. And then the key, like you said, is is figuring out which one is the one you want and then not doubling up on transactions because that just creates more of a problem. So it's got to be intelligent. Yeah, it has to detect what's there. And I I feel like as a model, that app has done it better than any other app I've seen in Mm. eight years. But detecting the transactions that's there and appending the data. They've done it better than any other transaction or any other app I've seen. Well, sticking with document management, I use a service called Earth Class Mail for my physical mail. They're a mail receiving and scanning service. So instead of mail going to your house, this just goes to some warehouse somewhere. Yeah. So I have an address in Phoenix and it's it looks like a street address. It actually is a, a street address that they have there and they just collect all the mail there and then they ship it up to Oregon to their processing facility every day. And then they scan the mail and it becomes basically like an email for me, virtual mail, PDF attached. And then uh, if there's a check in there, I can choose to deposit it. We actually had that happen for the Cloud Accounting Podcast, and it worked. I think it worked. <laughs> we'll have to check. Um, and you know, I can choose to say, oh, send that back to me. That's something I need to have. Uh, don't shred it. I love the improvements that have happened with Earth, Earth Class Mail since they were acquired by a private equity firm. And they just released a new Android app. So they have an iOS app. Now they have an Android app. And so it's cool because you can basically manage your physical mail, like an email inbox, and you can have different recipients in your account and you can move mail in between them, transfer mail. So, you know, if you're a virtual firm and you want to get rid of your physical office, that's a real problem. The physical mail is the reason that like 90% or more of firms still have an office, even if they don't work there. This could potentially be a way to deal with that. Uh, so check it out, earthclassmail.com. Uh, I'm a customer and you know they're not sponsoring, but they should. <laughs> <laughs> what else? I got updates from Zero. Yeah, Zero updated their app store. And I think there's one piece of news in there that I find very interesting if you want to cover the, the high level of it. Yeah, well, so the Zero app store, they've done this a few times now, I feel like, where they you know reskin it. They make it easier to find stuff. Um, the The big thing I think you're going to point out is that now you can subscribe to add-ons from the Zero App Store. Is that right? Yeah. So if I'm a developer, previously I would get on like the QuickBooks App Store or the Zero App Store, and I would just get my app on there. But then if somebody wants to subscribe, like yes, they could sign up from that site. But then when it's time to pay, I handle all the billing and subscription info for my mm-hmm. app myself. Zero is now set up so you could, it's almost like an Apple model where Zero is going to handle the billing and subscription of your app for a 15% fee. So it reduces the friction for my potential customer as a developer to sign up and then they get consolidated billing. So it goes on to their Zero invoice. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be interesting to watch this and see how developers um, utilize this functionality because the vibe I got six, seven years ago when we thought about this, you know, into it was developers just weren't keen on the idea. They weren't keen on sharing 15% of the revenue. Yeah. Because the, it's just, it doesn't take much to just have the customer sign up on their site instead. And there's a control aspect too, right? Like if I have the direct billing relationship with the customer, you know, I don't have to deal with zero if I want to adjust things and all that. Right. 
Yeah, especially if you're a startup and you're you're fiddling with your pricing plans all the time and you're limited on what can be done or not done. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting where this goes. So they're going to roll this out first in the um, down under in Australia, New Zealand, then followed by the UK. And then maybe 12 months from now, it'll be in the uh, US and Canada. Mm-hmm. And they're also going to improve the authentication method for customers. So like the single, so they can sign in with zero. So they've tweaked and improved that a little bit. Um, I think that'll be much better for the customer experience because then they've got zero, they've got all their add-ons. They don't have to remember a bunch of different logins because if they're logged into zero and they open up Dex, for instance, I don't know if Dex is going to do this, but let's say they open up Dex. Now they're just logged in automatically. Yeah. Now the one part of this that I don't, it's not clear to me because I'm not super familiar how zero does this, but like in QuickBooks, there was thousands of apps that integrated with QuickBooks online, but you had to jump through hoops to get on the Zero app store or the QuickBooks app store. But my understanding with Zero is there's a lot of apps can just like if you integrate with Zero, they'll at least list you on the app store. You might get uh, a lower priority, a, a lower experience, but you're listed on the app store, right? There is so there is so, a review. There's just like there's a, a review process. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then the next question is: Are you required to utilize just to be on the app store at all now? Are you required to utilize their billing structure or not? That's a good question. That that I really wasn't clear from there. Hmm. And we'll see. We'll see how this goes because it, it's definitely you know, it's it's the dream, right? And I know at some level somebody's done the math into it as well. Well, if we could get fifteen percent of every app, oh, it's, it's the the app. Right? That's a lot so of money, be- right? But at the same time, the reason QuickBooks exploded was you could we weren't doing or into it wasn't doing that, right? Yeah. And it encouraged lots of developers to build apps and, and more apps on your marketplace is more users, you know, the, the full the flywheel. Right. Um, and it's, is this a short term chase versus the long term win? So two updates to the zero app itself, they have updated the products and services list in zero. So you can filter your list by archived or active items. According to Zero's blog post, it's been one of the most requested community features for products and services. The other number two change is branded PDF reports. So now when you export PDFs of your reports, Zero practice staff will see a styled PDF option when viewing a new report. Selecting this will allow you to export a branded report to PDF with your practice's logo and title color before reaching the publishing stage. So reducing the number of steps that you need to take to then create that beautiful branded PDF that you send to your clients every single month. So before there was not a preview, it was just... I think before they didn't have the the branded option on every report, if I remember correctly. So there were like report packages you could set up that had all that. But if you're just exporting a one-off report, it wouldn't have that title page with your logo and stuff. Got it. Uh, Zenny uh, took in $34 million, uh, for AI bookkeeping. So Zenny is another one of these accounting firms with engineers. Uh, I feel like they're going a little slow and steady at this. They only have 100 clients so far. So so hold on. Let's put this in perspective. Okay. So they just raised $34 million in Series B. That's on top of $13.5 million that they raised in just in March. So it's August. In March, they raised, I guess that would be their Series A. Now they've raised their Series B. So what is 34 plus 13? That's $47.5 million, and they have 100 clients. Let's just read, yeah, 100 startup customers, yeah. So $47 million, 100 startup customers, uh, like what? Is that half a million dollars per client? <laughs> wow. So so before the valuation on some of these, like I think when Jeff Bezos got into um, Pilot, I it think was he 100. was paying, I think it was 100K, right? 100K or 70,000 per client. <laughs> now, now, now the valuation is, wow. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's going up. Um, and what's interesting about Zenny, uh, Zenny is like they're straight up like, hey, we're using a lot of humans. We have a team in India doing a lot of work, but we built out our dashboard and we're automating processes along the way. Um, I think people like this team. Uh, it's a, a set of twins, actually, but they're, they've, they've had some successful launches and, and exits before of some other startups they've built. So obviously the investors are liking what they're seeing here from Zenny. The one thing that um, I I'm skeptical about, or I see as a potential problem growing, is that Zenny positions itself 
It's zeni.ai, by the way, Z-E-N-I.ai. They position themselves as a bookkeeping accounting service for startups. And whenever I see something that is specifically targeted to startups, I wonder, can they make that bigger? Because the startup world is limited in the number of customers you could possibly have. And I don't think their valuation will ever be that high if they don't move beyond that. You got to hit Main Street America. You got to hit all the other small businesses that aren't startups, the ones that are just going along and not like super turbocharged growth companies. Well, on so, top of that, like most startups fail. Right, right. So, so you have churn so just because they- A lot of churn, lot of churn going down yeah. to just the startup path. But like you said, those are the easiest to automate because they don't have income. Yeah. <laughs> it's very easy to do the bookkeeping for them. They have payroll, you know, some R&D expense. You have to, pro- you know, there's an app to do that. Well, you know. It's it's easy until they need gap financials, and then it's a whole ton of work, and nobody's figured out how to automate that. You know, we haven't even figured out how to automate just the transactional accounting very well. That still requires too much human intervention, and just collecting all the information, all the tasks, and I mean, Zenny does a lot of stuff. If you go to their homepage and you scroll down and you look at their featured, yeah. I've actually talked to them. I've met them at Coopers oh. Connect before. Um, I've talked to yeah. their team, and I think I've had a Zoom call with them once or twice. Yeah, Especially right, right. So, so, but they're so they're an AI company. I want, I want to hear what you think, but they're an AI company that does daily bookkeeping, CFO services, including financial projections and analysis, scenario modeling, actual versus budgeting, board meeting presentations. They do your taxes and your R and D credits. They'll do federal, state, and local tax returns. Ongoing tax and compliance needs, such as the R&D tax credit for all seed and venture-funded companies. They do real-time reporting with their dashboard. They'll do your bill pay, your invoicing. They'll do employee reimbursements. These guys are an accounting firm. Yes, it's, 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 it's straight up no different than Pilot and a lot of these other ones. The AI I say it's is even beyond the big investments, but right. they're just doing bookkeeping. And, and here and there, they're going to try to, you know cut a corner with some engineering. What's the but, AI got doing? I mean, though? I guess there's this bet that somebody's going to be able to automate all this. I mean, like we've talked about this before that the money just keeps going to these companies. Like the bet is they're going to be able to hundred percent automate this. And uh, those it's of us never, in the industry never, are not uh-uh. too sure this is possible. Here, here's their about us. Zenny is a new age, full service finance firm built from the ground up using AI and ML. There's, there's the buzzwords for startups and small businesses. How much of this is actually AI automated? maybe some transactional coding, maybe some of their dashboard analysis kind of stuff, but it's it's an accounting firm. They're an accounting firm and they they've raised close to 50 million dollars with 100 clients. It's just absurd. And then really if you could take this press release and you could swap it out the stuff they offer, it's exactly what Pilot's doing for startups. Yeah. They're all offering the exact same thing, all chasing the same customer. But I get it. Like the, the, that whole, there's this whole startup world of ecosystem, right? The investors invest and they get the companies they invest in to spend money on other companies they've invested in. Like there's this kind of this cycle here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The money just goes in a loop. All the different startups selling to all the other different startups. Uh, and eventually the musical chairs ends and, you know. But, but at the end of the day, it's again, it's just, it's an accounting or bookkeeping firm. Yeah. And as long as yeah. they're servicing customers and customers are happy with the service they're getting, like who cares what they call it and who cares about what their claims are, right? Yeah. The customer doesn't care if you're using AI at the, on the back end to code transactions. And that's, you could just use outsourced people to do it and it probably, you know, anyway. And that's what's actually funny about this, right? Because if you want investment, you better put AI in your name. Right. But you're right. The yeah. actual small business owner is not making a decision on that. They're, they're looking at, okay, what services do you provide? Okay, I don't care yeah. how you do the services. It goes back to what you talked about last week in that article about um, what you do doesn't matter, right? Now, I, I would tell everyone listening, running a firm, go look at zenny.ai and, and use these firms as inspiration for your own marketing because they do really good marketing and sales compared to most accounting firms. And that's where most accounting firms suck. So go look at them for that. Yeah, because like they have a sentence. This is one finance team handles all your finance functions. Yeah. Like that's what people want. Like you go to other, like, you know, <laughs> other websites for traditional firms. It's not that clear of what you're going to do for me. They make it very clear, like, oh, you're going to do my bookkeeping, my CFO, my taxes, my R&D. Oh, oh yeah. You do and, all. Okay, I'm in. And when you click on their menu, you don't have this giant half-page thing that drops down that shows a million different services. They've they've got a lot, but they've made it down to like six to eight, and it's very clear. You can see them in tiles. It's well done in that respect. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That, that is the way to – because that's what they're nailing, right? They're nailing the marketing of this. 
and in the dream of this, right? Of this, we'll do everything for you. And that's why they're growing really fast. That's why you can see accounting startups like this double or triple, but they start from a low base, right? They've only got a hundred customers. So maybe they had, you know, 50 last year or something and, or less, right? So the growth looks insane, but then they stall out. Like, I just don't see them, you know, the AI, the ML is never going to be, they're not going to be able to develop that fast enough to continue on these tech skyrocketing growth. And so they'll never justify the valuations of these. And that's what's tricky about these two, because you could look at this and like, all right, they have something here, but the valuations are so high, a bigger firm, like a top 200 firm that says, Hey, we want to, we want to get more technical. We want to bring some talent like this. We want to be more forward thinking. A top 200 firm can't go and acquire them. No. Because the valuations are bananas. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> 10 to a hundred times. And, you know, in a, in a accounting firm, you'd be lucky to get three to five. That would be very, very high. So if you're a top 200 firm, top 400 firm, you probably should just build a service like this, like carve out a piece of your team, tell them you're going to market this way. You're going to build this. We might have one engineer we give you to code up a dashboard. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, what yeah. KPM Spark's trying to do. They bought Bookly yeah. and they're trying to do that. But because obviously you're not going to be able to acquire any of these platforms. So, you, but you could probably build something close with your existing yeah, well, it, staff. It, it, it's vaporware anyway. So <laughs> just build some vaporware. Uh, I still insist you can, between Process Street, um, what do you call it, uh, Zapier, you can kind of get yourself pretty close to what a lot of these companies are doing. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can. The problem is just most firms aren't even exploring it. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by AFO Wealth Management. AFO Wealth Management Forward was created to allow accounting firms to integrate wealth management services into their practice with ease. AFO Wealth Management Forward, powered by Arrowroot Family Office, provides a simple and easy way for accounting firms to integrate financial planning, estate planning, life insurance, and investment advisory into their current practice to increase recurring revenue streams without straining existing staff and resources. The program provides access to a robust online learning management system, one-on-one coaching, monthly Q&A sessions, webinars, and access to great partners, including Betterment, Vanilla Estate Planning, commission-free life insurance from DPL, and financial planning tools like Right Capital and eMoney. Learn how to easily adopt wealth management services through the power of technology and collaboration, and get 25% off when you mention the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash AFO. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash A-F-O. Here's something related. This is a Zapier survey. The headline of this report is called Meetings Aren't Killing Productivity, Data Entry Is. They asked office workers how they spend their time. (laughs) This is going to make some of the firm owners, I think, shudder in terror. 18% of knowledge workers spend less than one hour a day on core job functions. Let me say that again. 18%, so less than one in five, or or so one in five knowledge workers spend less than one hour a day on core job functions. 81%, so the vast majority, spend less than three hours a day on creative work. And 90% spend up to five hours checking messenger apps each day. I believe all that. My my wife just got her, she got a graduate degree, graduate degree, mind you, right? Mm-hmm. In um, counseling. So she takes a job at the high school. She's going to be a counselor. She's done nothing but data entry of student schedules for two straight weeks. And I, and I was, in, and she's just like questioning, like, why did I get this degree? I was like, yeah, you sound like a, Somebody who just got their CPA and is working for a big four firm doing <laughs> reconciliations for two years. Well, because her her job is one of, a big part of her job is to make sure that her students take the courses necessary to graduate. Exactly. And of course, there's no automation in any of this, so she's basically plugging their courses into software that then 
figures out if they've got the credits, right? Well, well, it's worse than that because I think the the software the school district's using doesn't doesn't calculate it. They're basically making sure things are correct so kids will graduate because the software is not. It's letting people register wrong, and but there's lots oh, of my and then God. people don't. They're not in a class with a friend. You know what I mean? It's it's the full range. But the point is, is like overqualified doing data entry. It's just like people they get their CPA. You do that 150 extra hours of school to do reconciliations. So continuing on with this data, what is what is the big takeaway here? Workers spend about four to five hours a day on their core job functions. That's the the biggest response there. This fits. When I talk to people and I ask you, I ask them, you know, how much do you really work every day? How much work, actual work do you get done? About four to five hours is, 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 is the most. And it's really hard to do more than that because first of all, your brain gets exhausted. You can't do like a full eight hours of actual real work. And then a lot of it you can't do anyway because you don't have the time because you're stuck in meetings that are irrelevant to you or you're doing like tasks like submitting your expense report or something. Or you get distracted every time you get back on track. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, yeah, the chat app thing to me, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of Slack anymore. Uh, it has like, I used to love it and I've come to hate it. I'm done with it. I'm switching back to email because 90% of workers spend five hours a day checking work messenger apps like Slack or Microsoft teams. Here's the biggest problem with Slack in these types of things. Let's say you're a fast growing company. Like I am Melio is growing crazy fast. It's been, yeah. right. I have a conversation with somebody four months ago about something, and now I want to let this new person see this conversation. You can't. It's impossible. But if I had an email conversation, I could just form the email thread from four months ago. Right. Like, I'm done with Slack. Well, I'm theoretically, start using email for everything. So theoretically, with Slack, you were you should create a channel for each thing you're talking about. But then I tried doing that. But you have it, to be pre. You have to be pre proactive. Um, proactive pre planning. Oh, this is something that is going to be needed in the future. Create a nice little perfect channel title. Invite yeah, yeah. the right people. Like, e- emails king. Emails king. Emails king. I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't yeah, even argue yeah. this with people. No. <laughs> like, so have another survey if you want to jump off App News and jump into another survey. Let's do it. All right. So this was, again, a nice survey in small business trend. Um, one in four employees still have access to files at their old job. That doesn't surprise me. I... Uh... I think one time somebody reached out to me from a previous job and was like, hey, Blake, do you know where that thing is? I was able to log in <laughs> and find it for them. Nobody had ever deleted my access or my account. Every so often I'll do a search on a Google Drive, like I'm looking for something else. Yeah. And I see, I'm like, I still have access to that document or that school spreadsheet or whatever it might be from you know previous employers. Totally. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because sometimes they, they invite you on accident because Google doesn't make it very clear clear and oh you know oh you instead of inviting my work email you invited my personal email right and then you just click on it because you're just clicking around boom you're in it and it's tied to your personal email and they never take out take that off the thing but there's other stats that are uh, kind of mind-boggling this so beyond identity who is in that like managing password space but they surveyed a thousand and eight employees about their password and security passwords or password and security practices at work Mm-hmm. Um, 42% admit to sharing workplace passwords, which I get it. Like that happens a lot, especially, oh, yeah. you know, and I've done that. If it's I just lower, did it the other day. <laughs> like if it's, if it's something like Canva or something that doesn't really matter, you know, there's no security yeah. involved. It's not a big deal. What's scary about that sharing though, is that a lot of them do it through email, 46%. So they'll email the password, right? Well, um, some of them will do it through a Google document, text is another way, mm-hmm. um, and 45% said, admitted they did done it through text. Now, do you ever share te- passwords? Like, how do you do it? So I message on, on Apple devices. If you're texting from one Apple device to another, those are encrypted. So what I'll usually do if I, well, I mean, ideally I'll get them to sign up for LastPass and then I'll share the password record with them via LastPass. That is the gold standard. If that's not going to be practical, I'll maybe email them the username and then text them the password without any context. Yeah, I so, always do two separate unrelated things. Exactly. Right. So yeah. if they that way, if somebody gets their text messages, they just see this random string of characters. They don't know what that is for. Like, yep. what are the, you know, I feel like that's fairly secure. Uh, but ideally, you want to use a password manager. So I've gotten my coworkers to use, uh, mostly using password manager. But even the password managers are kind of a, I might say a joke, but in a way, because as soon as you use a password manager, 
it adds it to your browser cache and then it's just in the browser. It's a, it's a the field to fill in. And now you have the password. Uh, well, if they're doing it right, it's it's hashed. And so somebody can't go and retrieve that password unless they, well, they have to hack your master password. So they, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's still the issue of But it's insecure. stored on a machine, like you don't have control over it. Right. The other interesting thing is they also, 37% admit to sharing passwords with family members. Yeah. Oh, work passwords, you mean? Yes. <laughs> I, like maybe, I don't know, like a family member is like, oh, yeah. I need to do a Zoom for this thing. All right, here, just use my Zoom account. Maybe it's like not well, it's harmless and just like, which oh, could happen. Actually, actually here's an example personally is um, my wife's payroll and benefits and stuff. She doesn't want to figure out how to do the withholding, fill out the W-4. Yeah. So she lets me log in as her to do that stuff. So that's an example. So yeah, I guess people, apparently it's still, it's a lot, right? Um, oh yeah, security. And then 20, 21%, they shared it with friends. Well, what about the guys uh, that... You know, there was that guy that years ago who like outsourced his entire job <laughs> to uh, India. He was a software developer. And yes. he, like, just gave, he gave somebody the login, hired him to do his job, and they didn't figure it out for years. And then 73% employees said they've experienced a breach, and only 14% of those have reported it to their – or 14% never told their employer about it. So this is oh, just never told you, a breach. I've yeah. Never told so, so I think like review your password policies with your firm, yeah. with your employees, remind them of good practices, bad practices. Use a password manager. Okay. Here's the lessons. My lessons from this episode, get vaccinated, use a password manager, use windows 365 or whatever it's called to. Yeah. So wait, if something does go wrong, you just lock down that machine or renuke it. So if you're going to hire a contractor to work in your firm, provision them a remote desktop through something like Windows 365 or Right Networks or whatever. And that way, yeah, if they if you need to remove access, you just shut it down. And they don't have anything on their computer. That's the big problem is people like downloading stuff onto their personal computers, especially in an accounting firm. You're talking about the payroll information, confidential financial information. This is a big problem. I have some good news for Canada. Are they, uh, well, they're allowed to come here now. So, you know, that's good news, oh, right? not COVID related. <laughs> this is, this applies to us more, more than that. So the Canadian government released their final open banking report on Wednesday. It took months and months to get this out the door. Well, at least they have one. We don't even have that. Yeah. And, and what I thought was interesting about this is they specifically call out screen scraping. Like to elim- they want to eliminate the use of screen scraping, which I thought was really interesting because it tells me whoever did the this report or the due diligence at the government to create this report, they actually did some research, right? They, they understand like that's how apps are currently doing these things. They're doing mm-hmm. screen scraping and that open banking will eliminate that. So they haven't done anything. They're just released a report. No, this is the advisory committee's report of recommendations. Okay. So now hopefully there'll be some legislation. Well, well the next step is banking. they're rec- recommending that there becomes a purpose-built govern- governance entity. So this is the advisory committee did their report to say, hey, you need to create a government entity to actually do the next steps of this. Gotcha. But I was impressed that they actually called out screen scraping, like they, which tells me they did some decent research. Well, David, um, did we get any reviews to read this week? No reviews this week. It would be great if there was a few. If you want to leave a review, please do. Really helps us. It's the number one thing you can do. It takes just a few minutes. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or on podchaser.com. Look up the Cloud Accounting Podcast, leave a review, and we will likely play it on the air. And if you want to hear your own voice on the Cloud Accounting Podcast, you can leave us a voicemail. Call 202-695-1040. 202-695-1040. Are you listening in your car? Are you driving right now? You've got nothing better to do for the next 15 minutes than call and leave a two-minute message. Tell people to make phone calls when they're driving. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You talk about risk. They're risking that. Hands-free, David. Hands-free. Hands-free. Yeah. Make a hands-free phone call and let us know uh, what you think about any of the stories we have discussed. Just let us know how you're doing. We love hearing from our listeners. Uh, we'll listen and we will likely play it on the air. The other thing you could do now that you know people are going back to the office, you don't have to touch your coworker's phone, but you could tell them to pull out their phone and subscribe to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. That's almost better than a review. Even better. Uh, it helps if they listen, though. Yes. So- Make sure that when you're in the office, you obnoxiously put on the Cloud Accounting Podcast really loud in your cubicle so that everyone else in your office can hear it. You know, I've talked to firms that they they, they sit around a round table and listen to the show. And David, if people want to get in touch with you online, where can they find you? 
I'm on all the socials at David Leary. If uh, you contact me on LinkedIn, just say you're not a bot. It actually makes me smile. I, I see that and it just makes me smile a little bit. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And something that made me smile was somebody who contacted me on LinkedIn. I don't know if they did this because they listened to the show, but they uh, they said, hi, F name. You know, and, and <laughs> like they funny. had, they were a bot, but they weren't. And I thought that was pretty funny because, you know, F name is well like played, the placeholder, well placeholder for uh, automation where you slot in the first name. Anyway, uh, I'll talk to you next week, David. Beautiful. Bye, everybody. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Have you dreamed of starting a bookkeeping business, but you don't know where to start? Join the Bookkeeping Biz Workshops, a four-day live workshop series hosted by Serena Shoup, CPA. You'll learn what it takes, which tech to start with, how to build a business, not a job, plus you'll get comfortable on discovery calls. The workshops begin August 22nd, so register today at bkworkshops.online. That is bkworkshops.online. If you're looking to fast track a scalable seven-figure accounting firm that doesn't drive you into the ground, check out Ryan Lazanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Designed around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That is www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast, co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.